Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us today at the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Next Level Brands CPG Community a merger of experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf, the Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and today I'm Pleased to welcome Lori Taylor. She is the founder and CEO of Produce Moms, a widely recognized consumer brand that is devoted to the sales and consumption of fresh produce. Lori sold fresh produce to retailers for 10 years and often appears in the media as a produce industry spokesperson. Lori is also the host of the Produce Moms podcast, yay, and a seasoned keynote speaker, a recipient of many produce industry accolades, including the inaugural Forbes Next 1000 initiative, which spotlights startup entrepreneurs that are changing the world through influence and innovation. And full disclosure, I also work with Lori in my role as VP of Marketing for Sunrise Fresh Dried Fruit, and we enjoy that association. But that does not mean she gets any softballs on the program. Welcome to the show, Lori. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here with you and your audience. And yes, no, nothing, nothing but uh, the hot yeah. seat here today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've been trying. We've been actually trying to do this for a while. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah. Uh, it it has been an, an interesting year. Um, to no wild year, yeah. whatever. Um, but let's start with a little bit of background about, so you were in the produce industry prior, what, what were you doing and how did the idea of produce moms come mm-hmm. to fruition? Great. So I worked for 10 years at the wholesale distribution stage of the supply chain. All of your, probably everyone in the audience is very familiar with that stage of the supply chain um, in fresh produce. It's, uh, you know, you're the middleman of a highly perishable industry. So it's very fast paced. You know, we were trying to move our warehouse, which had literally hundreds of thousands of SKUs every single day we were trying, or every single week we were trying to turn that warehouse at least once every three days, if not more. So very fast paced industry learned about, we were a full service supplier to grocery retail right in an 18 state delivery corridor full service produce department supplier so it was just absolutely paramount in my ability to do what i do today was that time at the sales desk you know learning about all the different commodities of fruits and vegetables learning about the the cultural side of food and how even within our own country there are so many different pockets of the way food is consumed and the the different types of cuisine that thrive and um, as america becomes a more diverse place you know there's so many different ethnic foods that come alive in the produce department. So I I became very passionate about the cultural side of food during my time at the sales desk. And I realized it was 2012 when I realized um, that our industry needed, we needed a place online. I mean, that was you know, Facebook was Instagram didn't exist yet. You know, Pinterest, I think had just started, but it was invitation only, but regardless, social media was exploding. And what was really exploding in 2012 was blogs. It was kind of like what podcasts are today. Blogs were then, you know, and, um, 
And so I pitched the idea in 2012 to my former employers, which is Indianapolis Fruit Company. We should start a blog and we, you know, I'd be willing to author it in my role as marketing manager because at the time I had transitioned from fully focused on sales to also doing some marketing work. And they were receptive primarily because of the low cost of entry for starting a blog. Yes, <laughs> you know, $5.99 domain on GoDaddy yeah. and a free WordPress template. Sounds good, Lori. Approved. Um, but, but um, you know, I, I always felt that we lacked that in the industry. And when you think about fresh produce and when you think about the produce department, there are at a minimum 200 different SKUs in the average produce department in the United States today. And of all consumer products that we purchase, produce has the lowest brand recognition. I'm convinced, you know, we don't, there's nothing that we buy with the, you know, with the velocity and the vigor that we buy fresh produce, where if you ask someone to name 10 brands, they'd be stumped. Whereas if you ask them to name, you know, a dozen brands in the cereal aisle, or, you know, pick a different department of the grocery store, I mean, even dairy, like there, people are going to be able to do it. And so that was that was definitely motivation for me, and it was part of my pitch uh, to get this thing online as a blog. So 2012, it launched as a blog. It launched as theproducemom.com, singular. We built it for three years together. We worked with our vendor community, fruit and vegetable producers and suppliers, um, and we would offer them either for an investment, like a just a straight-up marketing sponsorship, um, we would do content marketing for them in exchange for those marketing dollars. Or we also had a model where if you wanted to provide Indianapolis Fruit Company with a promotion incentive or a case discount, um, we could promote you on our consumer-facing platform. Sure, exactly. And so it, we built it, you know, it immediately took off like from a grassroots way. You know, I mean, it was, I think within the first three days of it being online, it had more social media followers than all of the other companies within IFMP Foods combined. So that was something that really opened up the eyes of the executive team, as well as my peers within the office. People were like, wow, we're really onto something with this. You know, people care, they're following along. And uh, for three years, we built it together. And then in 2015, um, they, Indianapolis Fruit Company essentially said they were done with it. They, you know, didn't make sense for them. It wasn't part of their core business model of <laughs> moving food from point A to point B. It sure, was basically, right. se- we were covering the expense, you know, the income from the produce mom was paying for my salary, the small support that we brought in, any sort of outsourcing legal fees. And, and that was it. Like it wasn't adding to capital gains. Looking back on it today, I feel like they made a great choice. Um, in the moment in 2015, I was devastated because I thought, oh my gosh, I'll never get this. You know, I'll, I, I, how am I going to keep this alive? I'd become right. so passionate about it. Well, they offered me the opportunity to buy it. And so that's my pathway to entrepreneurship. <laughs> I took my entrepreneurial leap by buying my idea and I didn't, you know, buy it for a chump change price. I paid more for my idea than the home my family and I lived in. So it was a huge leap. It was a huge risk. And um, we had a fraction of what we now have today in our community. I mean, when I bought the producemom.com, there was, you know, we didn't, we had a regional audience even. I mean, today we reach over 4 million people per month, engaged users through our entire ecosystem. We're pretty much anywhere and everywhere that you can find digital media. And when I 
took that leap, I mean, we had our annual traffic on the website was what we get today in 14 days. So um, it was, it was uh, a lot of, a lot of faith, a lot of passion um, and just a lot of confidence that I knew we could build this into something amazing. And in 2017, that's when I did went through the rebrand because I wanted people to understand the producemom.com is not Lori Taylor's diary. It's not me. It's not equivalent to me at all. What we've built here is a community of people that are very passionate about fruits and vegetables and a community of people that are interested in learning more about the entire journey. You know, they want to know about the growers and the brands. They want to have that heightened brand recognition. They want to understand farming practices. And most importantly, they want to eat more fruits and vegetables. And so in 2017, we did the rebrand. We added just the S, (laughs) turned it into the produce moms. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I mean, that was the best decision I've ever made in my years of business ownership, getting, you know, we're connecting today, Steve, mid-June. By the end of this month, I will be celebrating six years of business ownership. And still today, I look back on, you know, that decision I made to rebrand to something that was more community-centric as the best decision I've ever made. And and when we're talking about, in terms of your audience, um, Mm -hmm. it's... is it a balance between like our, our moms feeding their kids, your primary audience or people in the trade or a combination of both? How, how does that work or how did you aim that? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, buzz brings everyone to the table, right? And so we have developed, we have established a level of buzz within the produce industry with what we're doing. So we have the eye and the ear of a lot of movers and shakers in fresh produce, I don't want to pretend like we don't have a strong trade following. I know we do. I'm thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it. Um, but our mission has never changed. We, we are for households. We are to help. You know, Our goal is to get more fruits and vegetables on every table each and every time food is served in this country and, and really around the world. So we are a B2C platform, but most definitely we integrate within that B2C platform we integrate opportunities for people to tell the B2B story because really even even from a household level, we have proven through the Produce Moms community and platform that people care about the agricultural stories. People want to know how their food is farmed, raised, produced, distributed, et cetera. So we don't shy away from what more would consider almost like, you know, a you know, more trade centric. And that really comes alive. You mentioned the podcast that really comes alive in our podcast because we, we bring on guests on a weekly basis to talk about their operation and, and their unique contribution to the food supply chain. And it's interesting that, I mean, there's been a lot of momentum in, in this area in the last few years, whether it was five a day or, you know, whatever, more, more emphasis. Um, When, I was working, my agency was working with Fresh Express. Yeah. When we did our first intro to the sales group and whatever, the guy said to me, just want to remind you, because you guys do a lot of work with these other things that are canned and bottled. Uh, our shelf life is measured in hours. <laughs> so, yeah. right? So yeah, that's where we're going to go. And, 
and what we were doing, you know, reflected that because we were looking at waste and, and other stuff. But yeah, but it was a, diff- a different mindset. It's like, whoa, okay, well, wait a minute. So, you know, we've got to, we've got to structure this. But all of that to me seems to me has had a very positive effect. I, I think at least among people that I know, they're very much more aware of A, produce and fruits, but different types of fruits and yeah. different types yeah. of vegetables, right? I don't care if it's like being introduced to the purple potato. It's like, wow, okay, you know, cool. We're, we're going to do that or jackfruit or whatever it is. But I think that, you know, and, and you probably help do that, but that's part of that level of awareness has risen and people want to learn more because all of a sudden it's like different tastes, different flavors. It's not just frozen green beans. Right. No, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you and we are very committed to increasing consumption and volume and variety. I think it's so important. You know, we want to, we want to be a catalyst for households to get away from buying the same five to 10 items in the produce department week after week. We want people to export. We've developed a, a, a very compelling brand property to promote it too. the produce challenge. It's a gamification educational tool that we've created. We've been publishing it since 2013. Um, it's been widely adopted, not only by our followers and community at the produce moms, but also the K-12 education sector. Um, it's been a very popular tool, especially in elementary ed. Teachers mm-hmm. will download it. They'll print it off. They'll have it hanging in their classroom next to their you know, primary calendar. And it's just one more thing, one more touch point as to how we can get children interested in fruits and vegetables. Yeah. And get them to, to, to try some different, different yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Lori a little bit about geographic mm-hmm. differences in stuff. And I think we're all sort of, you know, depending on where we grew up, we're all kind of aware of that, but there has been with the consolidation of the traditional grocery industry, yeah. there's been a lot more homogenization stuff, but what, what are some of the things that you still see on a geographic basis that you are, are different and stand out? Yeah, I mean, definitely we're seeing it in a big way right now with tropicals and fresh produce, all of your tropical and exotic fruits. Um, You know, if a grocery retailer is going to launch those in Texas or Florida, you know, expand that section of their department, they're probably going to have great success. If you take that same set and you put it in Nebraska or my home state, Indiana, um, you're, there's going to be more of a learning curve. You're probably going to have more shrink and it, the pilot is more than likely not going to be as successful. Um, you know, and there's a, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot behind that. I mean, I believe that education is where, you know, I think that's the start and the finish line for our industry is we have to educate people on the entire the entire process. Um, we as an industry need to be more transparent. We need to be telling our story, but most importantly, we need to make sure that people know how to select store and serve all of these different fruits and vegetables. If we're going to truly change consumption and, and purchasing behavior, because right now it's been pretty stagnant, you know, and is there a pent up demand for fruits and vegetables? We'd all like to think so. You know, I mean, the chefs have been a great catalyst for that. The natural products industry has been a great catalyst for that, yeah. you know, creating central store items that kind of, you know, bring the values of the produce department alive in central store. That's That's been a huge catalyst to, um, you know, increasing the demand in fresh produce. But we have a long way to go, Steve. I mean, I do a lot of 
lobbying and, and political action for child nutrition policy in the United States. And, you know, some of the data points that we use, it's just staggering and it's sad. Um, less than 10% of Americans are eating the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables on a daily basis. Less than 2% of teenagers are eating the recommended amounts of fruits Ooh. and vegetables on a daily basis. And when you think about it, like you hate to hear those stats, but when you think about it, you're like, I can totally see that being reality in a teenager's life. Like that's right. not, you know, what is, what is the teen's culture, you know, talking about yeah. culture and food. Um, it's, there's no, it's not necessarily food. salads, it's pizza, yeah, yeah. it's burgers, right. it's, you know, yeah. right. and they've got the metabolism where they're not, they're not, um, you know, maybe not realizing the effects of it on, you know, on the, the way their body is digesting those foods. Um, but yeah, I, I, it motivates me hearing those statistics motivates me being honest with myself about where myself and my family is at in our, you know, dietary lifestyles, you sure. know, that, that motivates me. It keeps me accountable. We can all do better. Um, and I think that keep it real attitude has been a huge catalyst for us to grow the produce moms as a trusted resource for so many, so many households and so many people. Um, what about the growth? I mean, we've, we've had a growth in, in, um, I call lifestyle diets. So we're the paleo keto, yeah. but also, uh, vegans, yeah. And what, what do we call them? Flexitarians? Flexitarians. Yeah. I, I probably can identify best with that flexitarian diet. Cause like one day I'm a pescatarian, one day I'm a vegan, one day I'm a vegetarian. And then the next day I'm like a Midwest carnivore. So, um, <laughs> but I, I definitely, um, you know, the, the diet culture is real. Um, it exists. It can be, it can be a positive thing or it can be a toxic thing. It depends on what you're listening to and how it's affecting your mental state. Like all of those things are really, you know, it's very personal. That's one thing I've learned working with so many trusted entities and food is nutrition is a very personal journey. Um, but something that makes me smile, motivates me, uh, provides me with a tremendous amount of hope for our industry is the fact that fruits and vegetables are part of all of those diets. Um, right. You know, it's, it is, we are the food that really no doctor, no dietitian, no diet, um, no religion, no part of this world, you know, no geographic area of this world is saying don't eat produce. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. We are this magnetic unifying force in a world and, you know, in, in, in a society where there are so many different cultures, um, fruits and vegetables are, are the, they're unifying. They, they're the thread that connects us all. Um, and I find that super compelling too, when you look at society with a global lens, like fruits and vegetables, Anywhere there is human life, fruits and vegetables right. are there. That's part and of oftentimes yeah. the very first industry that is set up is agriculture. It, it, I mean, it, not often, it, always. The very first industry that is, that is introduced is agriculture. And uh, usually the first crop that is, you know, the first items that are part of that agriculture system are fruits and vegetables. So it, there is a anthropology type of passion that is, sure. that has come alive with me too, in my journey, you know, just understanding how this, this industry, it connects us all. Did you, um, did you ha also have a smile when 
the phrase plant-based became part of our lexicon in terms of the industry because um, it's everywhere every day and you know uh, yeah so i think i think plant-based is wonderful i mean i think again if you go back to science we know we all need to do a better job of eating more plants i so i'm smiling but i'm also cringing because i do think that fresh produce they lost the race like for plant-based if you ask someone to name a plant-based food chances are they're going to name one of these widely recognized meat substitutes or, um, you know, something that another type of a processed food when really the OGs of plant-based are the very first thing that greets you in the grocery store. It's your fruits and vegetables. And, um, you know, or people will immediately say, oh, plant-based, oh, that's a plant-based protein, you know, and they'll be thinking beans, legumes, or again, a meat substitute of some sort. So I- Right. Yeah. We're grinding up beans and putting them in a can for you to get your protein. It's like, just eat the beans. I know. So I, I, so it, for me, I'm mixed with the sentiments yeah. on it. I, I want, I, I regret that fresh produce isn't sitting in the pole position of that movement because I think we should be. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that people are, you know, considering it. Um, you know, being more deliberate about eating more plants, eating more raw foods. Um, but that, but I do think that there's a lot of processed foods that are claiming that they're plant-based similar to how, I don't know, Steve, I mean, I would say that the, the, the cringeworthy moments of the plant-based movement remind me of the cringeworthy moments of in the nineties when natural was like the rising star in food, you know, the terminology, right. Natural. It's a natural food. Okay. It's a natural Cheeto. That doesn't, you know, that's not (laughs) what we're looking for, but, um, but you know, those there's, there's a place for all of that. I, it, again, like reminded how blessed we are to have such a food secure nation where, if you don't want to eat meat, but you still want to have the experience of eating meat, yes. you easily can. And it's not just limited to people who can afford it um, as a premium price product at the grocery store because they are available mainstream quite at a quite affordable price. And they're even like you can, I think, go to Burger King and get a plant-based burger now. Burger so, now, yes. yeah. <laughs> so they I- really are everywhere. I, I have shared the story before about being at a food conference now about 15 years ago, actually, or maybe, yeah, 15 at least. And on the panel, a proponent, carnivore proponent and a vegan proponent kind of got into it about, yeah. you know, whatever, and the destruction, you know, the economy and, and health and whatever. And one of the representatives there was um, from Africa. Um, I don't know which country, but he was in his white suit thing right Mm -hmm. and he's like looking and they're getting a little heated and he looks to the microphone and he and he just goes americans a choice of protein (laughs) you know it's like yeah it's like you two are all day long and we would just like to have enough protein from one source okay uh it's it's more of a challenge in some places than others and you know we have this whole idea of you know what's going on do we have though produce deserts or whatever still within the I mean, country. I think that that can always, I think that always, yes. So certain climates, certain times of the year, maybe you're not a produce desert, you know, uh, during the summertime, but during the winter time, depending on your climate. Yes. 
Um, Steve, you and I recently were talking in a meeting and I was sharing with you my family's experience of driving literally like 1500 miles out West. And, um, I was amazed at just, I mean, this gorgeous, this gorgeous beauty of the state of Wyoming, but I'm like, that's, you gotta, you gotta really truck in, you know, refrigerated freight trucking at these miles, like for a school to stay within that, that, that box, that financial of the financial restrictions that school meals have. Um, You know, we were talking about that and how dried fruit could be a very viable resource for communities um, and demographics such as that. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, I, I do think I am passionate about the fact that there is, I I mean, I don't want to overlook or say something like there is no such thing as a food desert in the United States, because that's just false. There is, you know, there's ask anyone living in a, you know, an urban impoverished area in the United States. And they will tell you like, no, food deserts exist in some of the largest cities and the most wealthy cities of our nation. But um I do think that there has been a rise in for, I don't think I know there has been a great rise of fresh produce being brought into areas that were formerly, you know, no fresh offerings no fresh. by thanks to retailers such as dollar general and um, you know, even C store business, you know, okay. people really prioritizing, yep. making sure that there's fresh produce. And another thing too, these these retailers leaning into their ability to accept things such as um, SNAP and EBT benefits, um, right. you know, or WIC or whatever the nutrition program might be. Um, fruits and vegetables qualify for all of those, so that is another reason um, that has that has been a great catalyst for us to support areas within our own nation that that are battling food insecurity and food access issues. And, and we've seen a rise in urban farming too. 100%. Yes. And community gardens. And right. there's been some great, you know, great initiatives, whether it's Keep America Beautiful or other, you know, other local initiatives where there's been a deliberate effort to do more urban gardening. Schools are doing more gardening. Um, so just, I yeah. do think... That you helps. Know, I, yeah, it helps. And I definitely think that we're in a position where best days are ahead. You know, we're learning and we're improving. And what more can you ask of society? Like, let's right. learn, let's improve. <laughs> and improve. Yeah. It's evolve. Yeah. It's evolve. <laughs> um, Lori, let me ask you it's sort of two parts, uh, both related to what I'm going to call now the, the this is the mid pandemic era. Sorry, it's not over. It's not. With right. Me, yeah. No, we were just what, talking about that. You're right. Yeah. What effect did that have or what effect do you think it had on produce consumption or fruit consumption and then your business in particular? Okay. So um, the pandemic was devastating for every industry, for every household, like some there's, there's a devastating um, blanket that affects all of us. Um, And for me to make blanket statements about our industry is not really fair because if you're talking to a food service supplier, a restaurant chain that was shut down for, you know, several months, um, it, it it was just, it, it decimated that industry. It, it literally stopped 50% of our supply chain. And I'll never forget when it happened in March of 2020, we literally woke up and half of our customers were closed, whether it was 
restaurants, schools, events, cruise liners that were, you know, that had committed to all this romaine lettuce for their Caesar salads for spring break. Like all that business is gone. It's beyond just your brick and mortar restaurants in your community. It's everywhere. And even like hospitals, because they weren't accepting visitors. Like it just was this massive um, decimation of the food service sector and in farming, the growers, there's different specs for food service versus retail. And those plants, I mean, they were that harvest cycle, they were already planted. I mean, the shortest harvest cycle of a fruit and vegetable that is available, you know, at mass commercialized um, volumes in the United States is probably 45 days. So you have to think there was product in the there was product in the ground that had already been planted. Right. There was right. product sitting in warehouses throughout the United States that was, you know, just harvested that day with the destination being food service. All of that came to a screeching halt. So it was it was sad for the growers. It was scary for allied businesses such as the produce moms. Like, where do we fit in when our industry is in a position where half of their customer base is gone? Um, and then you looked at what was happening at retail and oh my gosh, oh, oh. like retail sales exploded because people yeah. in the United States were coming around their kitchen table in a way that hadn't happened in two decades for America. You know, I mean, yep. pre pandemic, February, 2020, I don't know the exact statistic, but it was right at a classic 50, 50 split on your, the food dollars, like at uh, least half your of food home dollars. Home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, but yes, th- to your point, there were some um, promising, amazing, great trends that took place over the last year with fruits and vegetables, some of which have even sustained um, to present day, which, you know, to your point, yes, we're 18 months into this. It's not over, but um, 18 months of a trend is it's something to, you know, really look at and certain commodities, um, mushrooms are one that just went way up in consumer sale and sales and consumption. We think some of that was due to, uh, you know, the plant-based movement that we talked about previously. But I also think a big reason why is mushrooms have now been promoting for about the last three years, white mushrooms, the industry standard is they, after they harvest them, they expose them to some UV light before they're put in just Ah, natural UV light before they're put in the packaging. And the mushroom actually that UV light is converted to natural vitamin D. And so that it's one of the only foods with a natural (laughs) vitamin D source source. Wow. Yeah. And immunity, immunity boosting foods. I mean, that trend is going nowhere. That is, that is here to stay. Oh, absolutely. That is not part of our life. Yeah. 100%. And we saw like the citrus sales, for instance, and that is a tip of the hat to the Florida citrus marketers of the eighties who um, trained really the entire nation, if not the entire world to equate oranges with vitamin C. And um, you know, anyone listening to this show with a nutrition background or, or just passion, you know, that there are other fruits and vegetables in the produce department that have more vitamin C than an orange, but they, um, you know, it was oranges that saw that big spike. Still, if you ask Mm -hmm. any, yeah, yeah. If you were to do an intercept in any supermarket and ask somebody, you know, where can I get the best vitamin C? They're going to say, well, yeah, oranges, maybe grapefruits, maybe on the outside, but yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, those were, those were some things that were really promising. I mean, of course, items that, you know, we, we need our chefs in produce though. I mean, chefs really, they're the ones that set the culinary trends. Like kale wouldn't be what it is today without chefs. Right. Um, Same with cauliflower and Romanesco's, you know, the fun things that we do with that vegetable now, um, it would probably still just be cauliflower if it weren't for chefs, you know? And I was eating cauliflower when it wasn't cool. Okay. I just want to on the record. Uh, you know, I was raised on a farm, though. And so we grew cauliflower. So guess what? We grew asparagus, too. So right. you have to, you know, you, you, you learn, learn to do that. But without that, goodness knows. I mean, I, I, you know, I have friends who grew up in the city or whatever who probably cauliflower. I'm like, God, what is that? And I don't want to, you know, and it's so versatile. I didn't know it was so versatile. We just right. used to, you know, steam it. it would work with that. Uh, Laura, you mentioned a little bit about so, so policy and whatever else. We had a change in administration last year. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the outlook on that for produce industry and, and for kind of this idea of promoting more of a better diet or whatever with, uh, with consumers? So the beautiful thing is food security is national security. It always has been. So unlike so many other, um, you know, policy points in DC or even, you know, with your local governments, um, ag is this, you know, it's really, um, it's in a class of its own because it's not even bipartisan. It's really nonpartisan. It's if we aren't a food sovereign and food secure nation, we've got big, big issues. And so I would say that, um, you know, I got involved with policy during the Obama administration and then carried forward, worked with the Trump administration, look forward. I'm going to DC in a couple of weeks uh, for my first round of meetings under this, you know, the Biden administration. So, um, you, you know, the, I don't anticipate, um, you know, some of the most compelling policies in food that took place in light of COVID were um, under the previous administration, and that included school school meals were free through a COVID waiver. Well, my children started school this year, and school meals are still free. The Obama administration continued that that policy um, from the Trump administration, and then similarly, in a in a similar vein, there is the Farmers to Family food boxes that was started as a COVID nineteen, um, you know, relief program with the USDA. And there are, you know, it doesn't look exactly like what it did because. Um, the, the access that people have to food in their local communities isn't, right. you know, like we don't have 50% of our food outlets shut down the way that we did, yep. um, you know, in, in moments of 2020. But there is that those USDA programs are still they're still working towards keeping that alive in some way, shape or form. So there's been great collaboration, like a seamless transition Um, you know, I don't deal with certain components of agriculture policy. Like I know right now in California, they're the growers are dealing, I I will, they're always dealing with water issues everywhere, but I know that there was recent policy in California that, um, was very centric to the water. Um, I'm not, you know, I don't study that. I don't lobby for that. So I'm not the right person to speak to it. And same with labor. I mean, the good news is, our industry has great people that are, you know, we stay in our silos. So I work on child nutrition policy. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I know. Um, But trust me, when we gather in a room, there is someone with an equivalent level of passion of mind focused on these other critical issues. And 
I, I will say that in my, you know, I've been working in DC policy for about seven years now. And, um, you know, I, I do think that labor is our number one concern as an industry. And uh, we're, you're starting to see some, you know, there's there's been more investment for technology dollars and technology solutions. Um, so there's more, you know, there's more access to those solutions. But I think that will continue to be a, a primary topic of concern. We want to keep our food costs low. Um, but labor has been something that has affected the agriculture industries as long as I've been part of it. And now, um, you know, I think that the wide, you know, from a wide scale, the United States is seeing a labor shortage affecting pretty much every industry. Everything. Yeah. 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 And, and there's no, there's, it's a tough job. I mean, agriculture, labor, and specialty crops, that's fruits, vegetables, tree nuts, and flowers. Very, very few of our commodities within that umbrella can be mechanically harvested. Um, so that, you know, it's right. bending it, over, it's hard work. It's right. not, it's, it's not a job that a lot of people want. <laughs> right. Most consumers don't stop to think about the fact that somebody bent over and picked that head of lettuce. Yeah. Okay. That you're buying for whatever, you know, right. a buck. It's like, are, are you kidding me? And the other part is, is that many of the specialties, especially with fruits is, while there are mechanical harvesters available, mechanical harvesters don't work for the fruit that's going to go into the stores or to be exported because it will bruise them. Right. And it's northern. If it's going into jelly, that doesn't matter. It's right. fine, right? But if I'm going to go in that a beautiful, you know, beautiful thing of Rainier cherries or whatever on the, you know, in in Safeway, um, that's all hand picked. Correct. And hand and, and, and usually on hand. a 10 to 12 foot ladder, like there's nothing glamorous yes. about no, picking tree no, no. fruit. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's just it, it's there. And um, yeah, and I think that's going to be it. You know, that's always going to be an issue, but uh, it's going to have its own just like the restaurant business. Now, it's going to have its own paradigm shift yeah. because of the pandemic, because of things that happened. And, and, and then, of course, you know, whatever, whatever the uh, legislation is that affects that and whatever, but our friend, right. Shea Myers is always talking about, right. You know, we need these workers to come in and they can go home. They want to go home, but they got to be able to get back and forth because otherwise, you know, he's got a field of asparagus that's sitting there, the 600 acres or whatever, and and he can't get it picked. We had a, yeah, you're right. And we had, Shea was on the produce moms podcast and um, had a really great testimony about his battles and getting his H2A um, labor buttoned up for this, you know, recent harvest cycle in the spring of 2021 and uh, just, you know, could not get the paperwork, could not get, could not get things processed through. So he ended up uh, implementing a UPIC farm and it ended up being probably the most successful UPIC story our industry has ever seen. Oh, the Um, the video is great. (laughs) Yeah. And great education too, for people to understand, like, this is hard work. And if it doesn't get picked today, like we can't, this is a living, breathing uh, product. It can't wait until tomorrow to be harvested. It will no longer meet grocery spec. Yes. It sprouts. Right. right. Because it it's going to reflower. That's what it's right. going to do. And and at that point in time, you can't put it in the supermarket. It doesn't right. it, doesn't it will not meet grade and it doesn't taste that good either. No. Right. So, right. yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of our industry. I'm proud of the growers. 
I'm proud of the, the entire food service sector. I mean, I said it previously, chefs are so important. Um, the service industry is so important to our, to increasing consumption and interest in fruits and vegetables. Um, but the resiliency, I, I've always viewed agriculture as a very resilient industry. You know, nothing yeah, can stop sure. us. We're battling mother nature and all these other variables each and every day. But, um, 2020 definitely taught everyone how yep. tough and committed the the farming industry is to making sure that food is always available. And, you know, that is, that is, that was only possible because of the dedication from America's farmers. Right. That happens. Yeah. Um, so share a little bit with us, Lori, about what's sort of next for produce moms. You, oh, you. thank you. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the same. I mean, we're still, you know, still trucking with the podcasts and the blog and uh, very optimistic about, um, you know, our, our, our relevancy online continues to grow. We are so thankful for our community. Thank you so much to everyone. When you visit our website, when you subscribe to our newsletters, when you share one of the videos we've created in your social media feeds, those are great ways that you can support my small business and the farmers that are trusting us to tell their story. Um, but yeah, we've got some really exciting things happening as we look ahead to 2021. You're going to start seeing the Produce Moms brand in uh, the produce department more. We have sliced apples with crunch pack. Those are currently on shelf nationwide at Target, Whole Foods, and a ton of other great retailers on a regional level throughout the U.S. Uh, we have a Michigan apple partner that we work with on a seasonal basis when Michigan apples are in season. And we have a three and a five pound bag with them. It would actually a one, a GDUSA packaging award in 2020 as well as one of the best. Yeah. One of the best food packages of 2020. We were really proud of that. One of the only produce department packages to be recognized. And uh, one thing that makes that packaging really stick out because a bag of apples is just a bag of apples, right? Well, we right, were determined right. we're going to, you know, we're going to do more with this bag of apples. So we turned it into an entire virtual learning experience. And that was wonderful because in the fall of 2020, there were so many households where, you know, they were still virtual learning at home. And so this pack, we worked with um, an education team and accessible through a QR code on that packaging. There is an entire suite of educational materials, all meeting national academic standards, right. all fun activities. And, and from our point of view at the Produce Moms, educating people on how apples are grown. So there's a virtual field trip to the Michigan apple orchard. You see the whole process literally from seed to packing house. And uh, that, you know, it's, it's just been really fun to expand on that and really just to lean into how can we, how can we be a better resource for, you know, that really taught my, my team and I like, we can, we can be that well-rounded resource for people. We don't have to just educate them on right. how to select, store, and serve their fruits and vegetables. We can actually be a solution to parent and educator headaches as it relates to, you know, the new virtual learning climate um, and, you know, other things that we all encounter. So uh, that has been, that has been uh, very rewarding and, um, you know, very challenging at the same time, but we've, we've enjoyed developing that side of the business, you know, getting the produce moms involved with more packaged goods yep. has been great. Um, and that's, that's how I, um, you know, I feel like we're really a brand now, you know, when right. you have that shelf space, when you have your, your brand on, on consumer products, 
you're a brand. Like you're not just a content That's platform anymore. Are. Yeah. Right. You're not a, you're not a person of influence or a brand of influence or a lifestyle brand or whatever. You're just a brand. And that feels really good. Um, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but um, gosh, the journey has been incredibly rewarding and I'm so thankful for the people that have trusted us to work with us. And um, I'm so thankful for the people that trust us and come get their information about fruits and vegetables at the produce moms. And, and speaking of which, what's, what's the website that people can go to? Theproducemoms.com. And we're on every social platform that, you know, you're on. So right. you can always exactly. find us. Just look for the produce moms. We, we are, you know, we're very open to your ideas too. So we have a Facebook group where we share a lot of that two-way dialogue, but also, um, you know, I mentioned our newsletter previously. If you respond to our newsletter, that comes right to my inbox, the contact form on our website that comes right to my inbox. So uh, we monitor all of our direct messages on social media. If, if you ever have an idea or a pitch or, um, a question for us that you think we can help you, you know, get the answer to just please reach out. That's why we're here. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things we do, um, Lori to, um, torture our guests after, okay. the time <laughs> after uh, is we ask them a little segment called words to grow by and words to grow by, um, is basically a word or a phrase or a topic. You can go as far as you want. Um, I had somebody who said, she said, Oh yeah, I got five, <laughs> but she'd already thought about it and she had them like, fine, we can do that. Um, to basically something that you want to leave with, you've had a journey, a successful journey. There've mm -hmm. been challenges, but um, this is really for the fellow entrepreneurs in the audience. What okay. kind of topic or word? Yeah. So it's really a more of probably a phrase, um, but if you need help, ask. And that, that's my phrase. If you need okay. help, ask. I, I was able to quickly identify, you know, in the, in the journey of entrepreneurship, the thing that connects us all is we're crazy enough to go for something that has no playbook, no case study. We're just going off hunch and instinct. That's right. Um, and along the way, you're going to find that you're going you're gonna to have goals or you're going to have things that you need to accomplish, but you can't do it on your own. And so my advice is don't be afraid to ask for that help. I mean, I think that as human beings, we instinctively want to help folks. I think that, you know, most yeah. people really enjoy helping others. And that has been proven to me to be true time and time again in my entrepreneurial journey. Um, being honest about your goals and asking for help when you need it can yield the most amazing results. Yep. So don't be afraid to ask for help. That is great. Great advice. Well, Lori, hey, thank you so much for taking the time joining us today and bringing us up to date on Produce Moms and what's going on. We, we appreciate it. I know you're busy. Oh, um, thank you. But uh, glad that you were able to share stuff with the audience been a pleasure, Steve. I always enjoy speaking with you and it's an honor to be on this show. So thanks for inviting me. No problem. And by the way, thanks to all of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health and wellness, or even small goods, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. 
While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.